super excited and grateful uh, for the opportunity to be able to share this morning. Um, I, I never find it to be um, a burden, um, and really it's, it's an opportunity that um, really we just got to say yes to God and just be open. Uh, it's like what I shared, a li- I think, last week when I opened. The, the young boy who was with the crowd of 5,000 people that were following Jesus around, uh, he only had five uh, bre- uh, breads of loaves and two fish in the midst of a crowd of thousands of people, and that's all he had. But they heard, he heard that Jesus needed it, and he made it available. And he just said yes. And probably he was wondering, how is this going to be stretched out to the, th- the thousands of people that were following Jesus and were hungry? But he just said yes. And so sometimes that's all that God is asking us to do is just say yes um, and, and use what he has given us. I, I, I want to share this really quick for those that are still trying to figure out what is it that I'm called to do, right? What, what is it that God wants me to do? Your calling is not a destination. It's not like you land at a place, you receive a title, and that's your calling. No, your calling is where you are with what you have. That's what that little boy did. He was in that moment at that right moment, and what he had, he just said yes to Jesus. At the end of the day, that's what it is. Um, but I just want to say thank you um, to God. I want to thank Pastor Vince uh, for, um, for asking me to, uh, to preach. It was, it was interesting. So Pastor Vince mentioned, so I serve at Esperanza um, uh, USA on 5th and Bristol. Um, and it's a large uh, organization that supports the community, community development. And uh, the work that I do specifically is around uh, church capacity building. So we support congregations, uh, pastors, leadership, youth leaders. And um, it was actually at one of our trainings, uh, Pastor Vince mentioned that Sunday falls on his birthday. And really just out of, because he also was a part of our pastoral program, which is renewal, and it focuses on well-being and rest and making sure that the pastors are not burnt out. Uh, I said, Pastor, you're not preaching on your birthday, right? And he's like, no, you know, I, I don't know who's going to be preaching. I'm like, okay, but make sure that you don't, so that you don't stress yourself out, you know, you can get some rest, as, as uh, Pastor Camille mentions, right? Um, and literally a week later, we were having lunch, and he was like, you know when you asked me? Uh, who I was, who was going to preach for my birthday? I'm saying, yeah. He said, well, I found who it was. I said, yeah, really? Who? He said, you. <laughs> so, uh, so if, if, um, if ever that opportunity comes up, uh, just, just, just know, um, that's kind of like making yourself available. So just say yes, you know, <laughs> uh, but I do want to take the time to honor Pastor Vince. Uh, you are the pastor and the leader of this house. And so we're thankful uh, for you. Um, appreciative of your heart. Recently, there was a, like a story on Lighthouse's Instagram kind of showing emojis to kind of reflect who Pastor Vince is. And I put the little emoji with the smiling face because you do carry joy with you. Um, and I appreciate your heart and your love for people. It's genuine. Um, and so I don't want to just like figuratively give you flowers. We really got flowers for you. Uh, so I want to uh, give those to you, Pastor Vince. Um, and I know it's not manly enough. So we, we also got a, a, a a card as well. I, I think uh, it was left in the back, but <laughs> thank you, brother Eric. If we can give a round of applause for Eric. So the flowers are not manly, but you know, maybe uh, Buffalo Wild Wings can kind of make it up a little bit, but we want to thank you for your service. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, so, so, so my name is Anthony Ramos, uh, was born uh, in Lemister, Massachusetts, uh, which is about six, seven hours away from here. I came here when I was about nine months years old. So I, I was raised in Philadelphia all my life, uh, North Philadelphia specifically, uh, right on I in Ontario, close to K&A, really close to here. 
Um, and I'm a product of a home that um, it was, I was raised by a single mother and a grandmother. Uh, my father was in, in my life, and um, I dropped out of school when I was 16 years old. And just based on statistics, that alone, being a Hispanic in North Philadelphia from a home without a father, I was supposed to be incarcerated. I was supposed to be either dead or selling drugs. Like, that was my trajectory. Um, uh, but thankfully, at 17 years old, God met me. God met me. He drew near to me. Uh, my, my uncle came out of prison. He met the Lord in prison, and he started discipling me and mentoring me. And so I'm a huge advocate for mentoring and discipleship. I think it's huge. Um, and he started just pouring into me, answering questions that I had. And so uh, me, at 17 years old, I was uncultured. I was what Francis Chan, who is a, uh, who's a Christian author and pastor, he mentions, what if, if somebody who never knew the Bible, they were just stranded in the island, and then one day they picked it up and read it for themselves. What would they believe? Literally what was in it, right? And so I was a young guy that was just passionate about Jesus, didn't know anything. I told Jesus, hey, I don't know what this is like to follow you, but I'm going to do this. And I would read scripture, and I would just say, you know what? It's true. I can pray for folks and believe that they're going to be healed. I can pray and, and, and see demons cast out. I, I believe this. Actually, at one point, when I was 20 years old, I went to a conference uh, out in Kentucky. It was a youth uh, ministry conference. It was probably about, uh, I would say, 2,000 young people all in one room. And I was only 20 years old, fairly new into my faith. And I started seeing a young woman, young woman, she was probably younger than me, maybe 16 years old, at the altar, and she was demonically oppressed. And I, and I looked, and I, and, and I saw leadership, you know, that were serving the young people there, and they were kind of, like, not knowing what to do. And me, just being naive, maybe it was just my naive faith, I'm like, well, Scripture says I can go pray for her, and she was going to be set free. And I literally went up to her, prayed for her, and I saw she was set free, and she was delivered from that, you know? And so I believe what we see in Scripture, like, that wasn't just something from back in the days and, you know, it meant something then, but really is not contextual today. No, it, it, it does. It applies to today. And I believe that every single person uh, who picks up the Bible and reads it for themselves and put faith into that, uh, that we can be world changers, right? We don't have to shift everything in terms of politics and all that. You can be world changers where you are. As I said, you can be where you are with what you have to fulfill your calling. That's the world that you got to change. Who's around you? Your family members, your neighbors, your colleagues, everyone. That's the world that you're set to change. And so we're world changers. And, um, and again, uh, this might be more applicable for the young people in this, in this room, but also for everyone. Uh, I didn't believe when I was 20 years old, 17 years old, that I had a youth-sized Holy Spirit. You know, I, I, when, the Bible says in Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 13 and then 14, I think it might be coming up, um, it mentions that once we believe, it says, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, right? To the praise of his glory. So everyone who believes in the gospel that Jesus Christ died on our behalf, rose from the grave, and is soon coming back, once we believe in that gospel, we've been marked. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit that's inside of you to make a change for those around you, right? Um, and so I just want to encourage somebody today uh, and what that means. And, and, and also John chapter 14, verse 12, uh, Jesus told the disciples, he said, I assure you, the one who believes in me, will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater. Somebody say greater. greater. 
and he would do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. All right, so um, if you don't mind, we're going to pray uh, the message of this sermon, and maybe you'll come up here. Uh, it's, uh, are you drawing near? So we're going to pray, and, then, um, and we're going to get into this. Father, I want to thank you uh, just for, for setting the atmosphere. God, you are here. Uh, your presence uh, is tangible, uh, and we're just grateful to be in your presence. Uh, Father, we're thankful for uh, this opportunity of a new day, of new life, and uh, we're thankful that you allow us the ability to connect with you, to draw near to you. And so I pray, Father, that you would speak. This is, this is your church. I'm married to my wife. This is your church, God. Would you speak to your bride this morning? Will you allow us to draw nearer to you, God? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want to talk about this individual this morning. Uh, he was actually countercultural for his time. He didn't fit the grain. He didn't ride the wave or went with the flow of things, this particular individual. I want to talk about Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant during the 40-year journey that the Israelites had to go through from Egypt to the Promised Land. And so I want to talk about this individual, right? And sometimes we look at the Old Testament like, man, that was written thousands of years ago. How could it be applicable to our lives today? Uh, what we find in Scripture where Paul was encouraging the church in Romans uh, he said, for everything that was written, this is Romans chapter 15, verse 4, it says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Uh, and this was my heart um, when, when I was thinking about what, what God wanted to share. I remember one of the prayer services, uh, it was actually two weeks ago, and we had a conversation all in the front afterwards uh, but literally you got an imagery that uh, folks' uh, shackles were being dropped and hope was increasing. Um, and I believe that that's what's going to happen this morning, that hope is going to increase. We look at Scripture as a way to grow in hope, right, to learn from them. And I pray that hope would increase this morning. Now, this isn't a, you know, be like Moses type of message, right? Uh, I, you know, to emulate Joseph, look at his, uh, his story and kind of say, you know what, we're going to be like Joseph's today. Um, I look at scripture and, we, and there's a, a theological term called Christocentric. It's looking at the Old Testament to see the identity of Christ even in the Old Testament. And I think Joshua was a type of Christ in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and what that means is that he was a representation of Jesus in a time where Jesus physically wasn't there, right? Uh, we can even see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, when Adam and Eve, they separated from God. When they were naked, they put together fig leaves and they were trying to cover themselves up. And God, what he did in, John, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, he clothed them with skins of an animal. Now, what would have to happen to be able to clothe someone with the skins of an animal? An animal had to die. Right? So even then, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, that's a foretelling of Jesus Christ, that Jesus would have to die on behalf of humanity to clothe us from our nakedness. Right? And so I think Joshua is a type of Christ in the Old Testament to show the personality of Jesus. Right? When we even look at the name Yeshua right, in Hebrew, the Hebrew name of Jesus, the English spelling is Joshua. Right? So if you're seeing the passion of Christ and you're, and you're hearing how they're pronouncing his name, they would say Joshua. Right? So the, the literal name Yeshua in Hebrew translated, transliterated to English is Joshua. Uh, however, Yeshua, when it's translated to Greek, is Lesus. 
And when you transliterate Lesus to English, is Jesus. So literally, Jesus and Joshua are, you know, really the same name. Uh, thus, Joshua and Jesus are essentially the same name. Both are English pronunciations of the Hebrew and Greek names for our Lord. And Jesus, as the second Adam that we see in Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, what the second Adam means is that Adam was once the head of humanity, right? He was the first person representing all of humanity, and he also served as our representative. However, Jesus is now our representative before our God. So another will not be needed, for in Christ, the work of redemption and reconciliation is complete. And so noticing the character and nature of Joshua in the Old Testament could help us reflect on Jesus' nature essentially as the last Adam, a demonstrative way to reflect on our relationship with the Father. So there's pieces that we can learn from Joshua's life and see Jesus' representation and learn from that. Because Jesus also not only uh, eliminated death and sin on our behalf, but also set the example of a relationship with the Father. Because at the end of the day, that was the goal. It was a progressive redemption story all the way from Genesis through Revelation. That's the narrative of God is love and to get us back into relationship with him. And so we're going to start Exodus chapter 33 verse 1 through 11. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, feel free to open up to Exodus chapter 33, verse 1 through 11, whether it's a Bible app or a hard copy. I think it's also going to be shared up here as well. So again, Exodus chapter 33, verse 1 through 11. So I used to hear this a lot um, when I was younger in in, in church. So cuando lo lo tenga, dice amen. When you have it, say amen. 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 All right, so we read this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord spoke to Moses, go, leave here you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt to the land I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your offspring. I will send an angel ahead of you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people. Otherwise, I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard this bad news, they mourned and didn't put on their jewelry. (laughs) They didn't put on their jewelry. For the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I went with you for a single moment, I would destroy you. Now take off your jewelry, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites remained stripped of their jewelry from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses took a tent and set it outside the camp. Somebody say outside the camp. camp. Set it up outside the camp, far away from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. Now listen to this. So many times I read Exodus chapter 33, this part stood out to me. Anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. Whenever Moses was out to the tent, all the people would stand up, each one at the door of his tent, and they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and remain at the entrance to the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. 
As all the people saw the pillar of cloud remaining at the entrance to the tent, they would stand up, then bow and worship each one at the door of his tent. The Lord spoke with Moses face to face, just as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave inside the tent. God, we want to thank you for your word. Have your way. Now, to provide some context, prior to this, the Israelites were confronted with Yahweh's disappointment and his anger for attributing the freedom that they received from leaving Egypt to a cow that was made out of gold, right? So they gathered up all their jewelry, they threw it, they burned it, melted it down, and out came out a golden calf. And they said, this is the God that delivered us from Egypt. Now, he was mad with them because the Israelites were led out of captivity to worship Yahweh. So it's kind of like, imagine, you know, you, you know, as if you're courting somebody, right? Let's say, um, you know, you've already made reservations to, you know, go to a restaurant and invite this individual. They already have the reservation down, the meal selected and everything like that. Um, And out of nowhere... Uh, this person doesn't want to go to that restaurant with you, but they will go with someone else. That's what the people of Israel did to, G- to, to Yahweh, right? He led them out of captivity, and the reason why he led them out, out of captivity, and we can see many verses when Moses is confronted Pharaoh and telling him the reason why he wants the people of Israel to go. But there's one particular verse, and again, this is repeated many times in that confrontation, This is what he says. This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. Let my people go so that they may worship me. That was the intention why Yahweh wanted the people of Israel to be free from Egypt, so that they could worship Yahweh, so that they could be in relationship with Yahweh. So you imagine you're seeing the Red Seas being parted, right? They're walking through. They're seeing the, the miracles. Man have fallen from heaven. And yet, this is all in preparation for them to get to the promised land to worship Yahweh, to be in relationship with Yahweh, to restore the communion that was once lost with Yahweh, to attribute that freedom to a false god. So you can imagine Yahweh's anger. That's why he was upset, actually to the point where it was very similar to the times of Moses, where Yahweh regretted the people, right? It said he was remorseful. He said, I am not going to go with y'all, because if I were to go with you, I would kill you. I would destroy you, right? It's kind of like being so, so bothered by an individual, right, that, you know, might be like talking your ear out, and you're like, man, if I go with you, I'm going to be ticked off, you know? <laughs> Yahweh was so upset. But obviously you see later on his, uh, his compassion and his mercy and his grace, right? But he was upset. And so this is the continued progression of God's redemptive story. And it took a similar turn as it was in the time of Noah, right? He was remorseful. He was saddened that his creation that he created to have relationship with no longer really wanted to have that relationship with him, right? He was saddened. And he called them stiff-necked. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know, I've never really had a stiff neck before, but has has anyone ever experienced what that was, a stiff neck? Yeah, we got a couple in the back. 
with some stiff necks, right? It got to be painful. Like, you're not able to move your, your neck to, you know, one side to the other, right? And I looked it up, like, what this, <laughs> what the, <laughs> there's memes, right, where, you know, God, I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> uh, so, you're right, stiff neck, like, not even being able to move your head from one side to the other. Uh, but I looked up what it really means. It was someone who was stuck in their ways. They were too prideful and haughty to want to change, right? And that was kind of a, a language that he told the people of Israel, hey, this is your representation of your relationship with me. You're stiff-necked. You're not trying to listen to my advice. You're not trying to listen where I'm trying to take you. I'm trying to be in relationship with you, but you're still stuck in Egypt, right? But verse 7, as I, as I noted earlier, why I wanted to focus on that so much is this is what stood out to me. So many times reading this chapter, it said, anyone who wanted to consult the Lord, this is verse 7 in Exodus chapter 33, anyone who wanted to consult the Lord would go to the tent of meeting that was outside the camp. Anyone. Anyone. Right? Now, obviously, later on, there were parameters as to who would go into the Holy of Holies, which would represent God's presence, right? So it was the Levites who were assigned that duty, right? But it says anyone who wanted to consult with the Lord, anyone. Now, consulting is really being able to talk and have a conversation, you know, consultation. My father-in-law is here, uh, and he's a a financial consultation, right? And you can have a financial consultation with him. He's a uh, financial advisor, right? And Having a consultation is really hearing advice from an individual to direct you on your ways. So what stood out to me also was David, who we're going to talk about in a little bit as in reference, he was considered a man after God's own heart. Why? He was so terrible, though. He did a lot of bad things. But why was he still considered? Because this was later, years later after his life on the earth, he was still regarded as a man after God's own heart. Why? Because before every battle, every voyage, every venture, anything he'd do, he would consult with the Lord. He would consult with the Lord. And so this passage here, it really stood out to me that anyone who wanted to consult with Yahweh could go to the tent. Hence Joshua, right? Joshua was Moses' assistant. And what stood out to me was that even when Moses would meet in the tent of meeting, when he would meet face to face with God, and he would hear from God, get direction from God, sense God's presence, and just enjoy who God is. Joshua, he didn't see his way out. When Moses, it says right here at the end of the, the, uh, the passage, verse 11, when Moses would go back to the camp, Joshua would remain. And now it doesn't say, you know, if he spoke with God or, you know, what, it, what happened then. But I can only just imagine that Joshua wanted to remain in God's presence. How many, how many of you have, 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 have experienced that where you're just having a moment with God in prayer and worship? And, you know, and you're like, you look, I, mean, I got to get to work in like 15 minutes, God, but I don't want to leave. All right. I'm thinking Joshua had a similar experience where he's experiencing the tangible presence of God. And and, and you can imagine that you're talking about the God who spoke the universe into existence and upholds it with the power of his word. Being able to have a a, a time with him. There was one time, I I was about 19 years old, 
And I was in, in my, I didn't have a prayer closet because, you know, I was in my room. So I wish I had a prayer closet. But I had a prayer room, my room. Uh, I was 19 years old, and I would pray. And I would sense the presence of God just so thick. And I remember writing this. I probably got to pull this up. It's like an old Facebook post. This is when Facebook was popular before Twitter and all that. And you just like write those little tweets on Facebook, right? So I just wrote that little sentence. I'm like, I really know the God of the universe. Like that, that's what we have. That's what we've been invited to have in relationship. The God of the universe. And Joshua, he didn't want to leave the presence of God. He didn't have to, right? Because anyone who wanted to consult with the Lord would go to the tent of meeting. He didn't want to leave. And so that really stood out to me. Yet, the Israelites remained at the door of their own tent rather than approaching God. Now, when I read that passage and I sat with it, that stood out to me, right? They, they saw Moses take the tent and pitch it outside of the camp. Key, key part, outside of the camp. He, he would pitch the tent outside of the camp so he can commune with God. And the people of Israel will see Moses doing this. And they would stay at the door. There's a door. They call it a door of their tent. I've never seen it. Unless it's, hey, it had a zipper. I don't know. You know, I've been to camping before where they have like these, you know, super huge tents where you can fit like 16 people in them and they all have their own little rooms. So maybe those tents were a little bit bigger back then and they had a door. But it says the, the door of their tent, but they would remain there while Moses is on his way to meet with Yahweh, knowing that anyone who wanted to consult with the Lord could have gone. But only Moses and Joshua went. And they remained at the door. And what stood out to me when, when I sat with this passage is sometimes that's us. Actually, all of it is us, Israelites, right? But it's us in this particular way. When we tell, hey, pastor, pray for me. I'm dealing with this. Can you go before the presence of God for me? I won't show up at prayer. <laughs> you know, I, I won't be praying too. Actually, I stopped telling people I'm praying for you. I said, I'm praying with you, because we all should be, right? But they all, that, that's what stood out to me. They remained at their tent watching that Moses was going to meet with Yahweh, the creator of the universe. And rather than tagging along, going with them, even if they had their own section, just to be in the presence of God and consult with them, consult with him, they remained at the tent, their own tent. God, forgive us. Because at the end of the day, we've been invited to be in God's presence. John chapter 14, verse 23, it says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, we don't deal with... Uh, the tent of meetings or, you know, the tabernacle of the most holies. We don't deal with that in the 21st century. You are the tent of meeting. Jesus, he said that I am going to leave this earth, but no worries. I'm going to send a comforter. And it also describes the Holy Spirit as the counselor. We're talking about consulting with God, the counselor. I'm going to send your helper. 
The Holy Spirit makes his abide in each and every believer. As I mentioned earlier in Ephesians chapter 13, chapter 1, verse 13, it says, anyone who believes in the gospel has been marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're carrying the tent of meeting. You're carrying the holies of holies inside of you. Inside of you. We just gotta, we gotta tap in. We gotta connect. We gotta connect with God. We gotta commune with God. For whatever reason, sometimes we, we, we do that. And we, we, we say, Pastor, pray for me. Brother Mark, Brother Eric, Sister Erica, pray for me. I'm going through this. We're not, we're not meeting with God on, on, on our own as well. I believe in prayer. I believe in having people pray for us. That's, we, we see power when that happens, right? The, the scripture says where two or three are gathered together, in Jesus' name, there he is. Can you imagine where two or three are, are touching and believing on an area in our lives for freedom? Jesus hears our prayers, right? I believe in that. But what I don't believe is that we ask somebody to pray for us and we're not praying ourselves. We all have been given the opportunity to connect with God. And it doesn't have to be a prayer closet. I didn't have one. Wherever you are, it can be on your drive or your ride to work. It can be 15 minutes at your job. They give me 45 minutes for a lunch break. Well, I'm going to take at least some time before I get back to work and commune with God. Or, you know, you figure that out. It's your relationship with God. But connect with him. And I get it. I get it. We're, 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 di- we're distracted people, right? I'm looking at the people of Israel. It's like, it's like can you, how? And, and listen, if I was there, I would probably be do the same way because my heart is wicked, right? My heart is prone to stray, right? Um, it's like that for humanity. But they've seen manna. You're talking about bread come from heaven to feed them. The sea part, they, a big miracle where they were going to die and they were looking at Moses. Moses we're in front of this huge Red Sea, and we got this Egyptian army right in back of us. You set us up. You brought us here so we could die. And they see, the, they see the sea part, and they walk through it. And yet they're still unimpressed. They forget. And to be honest, we forget too, right? Because we can just now just think about moments where we know, we know God met us, where we know God delivered us, where we know the presence of God showed up. We can think about those moments right now. Sometimes we still forget because we're forgetful people. We, we are, you know? And that's why it's so important for us to know that we are forgetful people to walk to the tent of meeting, right? It was a, it, and and I, I made that as a mention. Why was it pitched outside of the camp? Why? I sat with that. Why was it pitched outside of the camp? Because we're just too comfortable. We're too comfortable. They call this generation, my generation, the microwave generations. We want it like this, you know? But, but I, heard, I heard that Jesus is not like Burger King. It's cheesy. We can't have it our way. We can't. He wants us to connect with him, right? Can you imagine being in a relationship with somebody and you're the one doing all the talking, right? And the other person is really not as interested? Sometimes that's how, that's how we are with God. We're just not as interested, right? God wants us to meet it. He could, he could have programmed it away for us to connect with God naturally, right? We probably would have never, you know, experienced the beginning, the downfall of Adam and Eve if we were designed that way to naturally connect with God. We can connect with God, 
right? But it's, it's out of our heart, it's our choice, right? God gave us the free will to want to be in relationship with him. He wants us to want it. He wants us to want it. But I get it. We're humans. We fall. We make mistakes. Every single one of us, we're not exempt from it, right? And if you ever feel the weight of guilt, uh, shame, doubts, fears, uh, anything that you sense is kind of very similar to what the Israelites experienced while they were remaining at their door, right? Rather than approaching the presence of God, I want us to think about a couple of folks that were unqualified, ordinary men and women that God chose to work through and connect with to do some of the most unexpected things. Noah, he drank too much, (laughs) but God used him to build the ark to save the world. Abraham and Sarah, they were old. Some would say washed up, (laughs) but they... (laughs) He chose to use people that were over 100 years old to give birth to their first child who would build a nation. Moses, he was a stutterer. He was a murderer. But however, he was God's spokesman and leader. Rahab, she was a prostitute in enemy land who God used to help the spies take over Jericho. And if you see in Scripture, you look at the lineage of Jesus, You see Rahab's name there. She's part of Jesus' lineage. The most unlikely figures, right? Jonah, he was the escape artist who God brought back to save Nineveh. I mentioned earlier about David. David was a liar. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. Yet he was considered a man after God's heart. Peter, he was a quitter, right? As soon as, as, you know, Jesus uh, died on the cross, and he was put in the tomb. He told the disciples, hey, let's go fishing. <laughs> he, he went back to the things he knew, right? He was a quitter. Or, or even when, when he was confronted by the Roman soldiers saying, hey, you look familiar. I think I saw you walking with Jesus. He's like, no, no I don't know what you're talking about, right? He was a quitter who God brought back to start the kingdom. And then Paul, he was the enemy of the church who became the most prolific Christian in the New Testament. Every single one of these individuals have deficiencies just like us, just like you and me. However, God chose to use them. Why? Because he loves humanity. He could have done it with any other creation, yet he chose humanity to have a relationship with. God takes the foolish things in this world to confound the wise, the weak to, cons- to confound the strong. And the thing is, it's, it's really based on our identity in Christ, right? For any of us still wondering, again, what is it that we're called to do? What is it that we're supposed to do? Um, seeking validation from humans. Our, our validation is supposed to just be in Christ. You know, Jesus, before he did any miracle on earth, when he was baptized, right? The father said, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Before he did anything in his three-year ministry, he said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. That's the same father that's looking at each and every one of us saying, these are my sons and daughters whom I'm well pleased. He's not looking at it based on our performance and what we do and what we don't do. Jesus took our place. We only need God's validation. 
And I'm coming to a close, actually. Um, but we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I remember there was one time I had a dream. And I can never say while I was awake I've ever heard the voice of God. Like obviously, you know, you would sense his, his prompts and his, you know, his, his guide and you have to be discerned. Um, but I've never heard the voice of the Lord, un, you know, audibly. But there was a dream I had. And it was literally this, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I didn't see anything. I just heard this voice. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. It didn't say Jerusalem because if it said, I probably would be there right now. It didn't say Judea or Samaria. It just says, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witness. And to me, what I took it is that I'm, I'm supposed to be God's witness wherever I'm at, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, United States. That's where God called me to. That, that's where God is, God is calling you wherever you are to be his witness. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and it has to be his witness, the only thing God is requiring is our yes. Is our yes. Can we say yes to God this morning? Can we say yes to God? Can, is, is there a yes in your spirit today? And for those who might be listening and still trying to figure out how to be in relationship with God, we see in Romans chapter 10, verse 19, it says, Declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now Jesus needs to be Lord. He needs to be Lord. Not my will, thy will be done. Can we say that to God today? That's really what he, he desires, right? He doesn't want the worst for us, and we think God's will is, man, it's just going to be bad. It's going to be tough. No. Every single one of us are unique. We've been created with purpose that no one else can fulfill. He just wants us to say yes. Say, God, I want to say yes to you this morning. I want your will to be done. That's what he wants to do in each and every one of our hearts, that our will aligns to God's will. Are you willing to draw near to God this morning? That presence of God that is indwelling in each and every one of us. Are we willing to connect with God this morning, every single day of our lives, to be able to say, God, what, what is it that you want to do? I, I just want to say yes. I want to connect with you. I, similar to what we've learned from the story of Joshua and his experience at the tent, I just want to be in your presence I want to be led by you. I want your will in my life. That's all he desires this morning is willingness and obedience. Now we talked about the good news where Jesus came to earth. God in the flesh died for us on our behalf because it says in scripture that the wages of sin is death. That means we would have had to have paid for it. And that meant separation, right? Adam and Eve, when they bit the fruit, they didn't die instantly, but they were disconnected from God. There was a spiritual death at that moment. 
that you see throughout Scripture that God was continually progressing to bring the church, his people, back to him in relationship. That's what death is. And Jesus paid it on our behalf so that we don't have to. But as we heard uh, several weeks back, Jesus tore the veil. When he rose from the grave, the, the, the veil, the actual curtain that would stop people from going into the holy of holies, it was torn, inviting each and every one of us into his presence. His presence is now in you. It's abiding in you. That's the good news. But the bad news is, you know, we're all fallen. If we're separated from Christ, if we have not made that decision to say, God, you, you are my Lord. Not my will, but your will. I want what you, I've tried. I've tried my own. And it doesn't work. When I was 17 and I told Jesus, I said, I don't know how to follow you. I don't. I dropped out of school when I was 16 years old. I was fascinated with marijuana and drinking all the time. I lost my job because I thought I was going to be a jeweler. My mom's a jeweler uh, in, in Ninth and Market, so I was working in Jewelers Road. And so, row, and I, and I thought I was going to be a jeweler. But um, tough situation. My, 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 my then boss, he had two sites, and he had four employees, and two of them were already off. And so that means he needed me to come in that day so I could manage one of the sites while he was at the other. But I told, I, I told him, I lied. I said I had an exam. I was already out of high school. I, I dropped out. I, was, I had no exam. And I was actually looking to, go, to do my GED. And the place that I was at originally uh, was, uh, was closed down because they were giving out false GEDs. And I told him, this is while I was working. He needed me to be present. He said, I need you to come in this morning. I said, I can't. I have an exam. He said, if you don't come in today, you're not coming in tomorrow. Now, I was so naive, I thought he was giving me two days off. I said, okay, great. You know, that means I don't show up today. I don't show up. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> My mom comes back later on because, again, anything that happens in the jeweler market downtown, uh, everybody knows. And so she comes back and she says, you know, you've been fired, right? I'm like, well, now I know. <laughs> so I was fired. So I was without hope. I wasn't working. I was without education. And again, I was, a, I was a statistic waiting to happen. By the grace and mercies of God, I was able to get my GED from Temple University. And then from there, went on to Esperanza College to, to be the valedictorian of my graduating class. You know, then went on and got my bachelor's, of the, my bachelor's degree and then my master's. All this because I said, you know what, God, I was wasting my life. I was letting my life rot away. But you know what? You gave me a restart. You gave me another opportunity. I'm just going to, I'm going to go hard for you as best as I can. So the bad news is we're, in, we're, 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 we're fallible human beings. We make mistakes. But we know the remedy. And you know what? The, the good news doesn't end that Jesus dies and then resurrects on our behalf. He also ascended to heaven. And he told the disciples, where I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it doesn't stay there either. The full good news is that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back. He's going to come back. We see in John chapter 20, 
verse 3 through 7, Peter and John makes their way to the tomb because they hear the news from Mary and Martha that Jesus resurrected. So now they're rushing back to see with their eyes the risen Savior. And to their surprise, they see the linen that covered Jesus' body laid out. And the one specifically on Jesus' face was folded. Now there's a Jewish custom. There's a Jewish custom. When someone's eating a meal, the way that you, this, you, you show the person that's serving you that you're going to come back you take the napkin and you fold it and you put it on the, the right side of the table. Why would the writer be so specific that Jesus took the shroud that was covering his face, folding it, and put it right there on the little rock? I'll be back. And I'll be back. And he's going to take us to be with him forever. And at the end of it, this, the gospel continues on, but it's based on our availability. Can we say yes to God this morning? And, and I want to invite the, uh, the, 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 the prayer team and the prayer warriors to come up to the altar as we get ready to spend this time in God's presence and say yes to him. It continues on that after Jesus resurrected and he met with all the disciples and he was ascending to heaven. We can all stand up, actually. Hallelujah. It says in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, it said, after he had said this, he, Jesus, was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes, stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you've seen him going into heaven. To me, breaking it down at the simplest terms as I know best, the angels stood next to the disciples and said, why are you just waiting for Jesus to come back? The same way Jesus came into heaven on the cloud is the same way he's going to come back. So you'll know when he comes back. But why are you just standing here? Didn't he tell you to go meet together in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come on you? He's inviting us to say yes to him this morning. He's inviting us to be used as tools and vessels, as people to proclaim what God has done on our lives. So don't, let's not just wait for Jesus to come back. We know the world is a wreck. We know Philadelphia right now is, is dealing with extreme measures of homicide, right? There's so much that we can say is bad, right? But God is here in this city. That we look at the deficits and we try to say, we need to bring God here. No, God has already been here. God, what are you doing here so that I can be a vessel to be a part of that? He just wants us to say yes, to be discerning, to be in the spirit, to not just say, well, this world's going to hell, you know, and I, I'm waiting in the ark, right? I'm going to wait in the ark and wait for Jesus to come back. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is exactly, exactly what the, the, the angels said to the disciples. Why are you just standing here waiting? This same Jesus that, came to, that, rode, that went up to heaven on this cloud is going to come back the same way. Go do what you're supposed to do. 
And so I want to invite you up. If this message was for you, in terms of wanting to draw near to God, whatever it is that might be holding you, and there's no shame. We're, this is community. This is community. Again, this is where God is, is inviting us to, to live life with one another, to experience God's goodness with one another, to testify of what God is doing amongst us. So there's, there's no shame. We're all, we're all trying to get to the same place with God. So if we're dealing with something that might be just weighing us down, we're just distracted, we're idle, right? We're, we're getting the prompt to spend time with God's presence and, and we're just, we're distracted. We're distracted. We sit on the bed and God is saying, come, come spend time with me. He invites us. Can we say yes to him this morning? God, I want to be in your presence. I want to be where you are. That's the gospel. That's the good news is that we get to be where he is. Wherever he is, I want to be where Jesus is. He invites us to be with him. So if we need things to just lay down at the altar, we know in scripture it says, to lay down our burdens in exchange for his joy, for his peace. If we're holding on to something, I invite you to come up, pray with us. Let's take this moment and just pray. If you want to just spend time up here in, in, in the presence of God and just, just you and him, that's totally fine as well. But there's also prayer warriors here to, to come alongside you in your prayer petition this morning. If you have not made the decision to say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Or maybe we did make that decision before, but it's not reflected in our actions. We invite you to come up. Hallelujah. We invite you to come up and just spend this time in, in worship as the worship team leads us.